Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And the word Advent simply means coming. And more than a time of uh, waiting in anticipation for Christmas Day, as if it was some kind of countdown, Advent is a time to stop, to rest, and to prayerfully wait for the coming of Jesus. In the earliest centuries of the church, seven prayers were developed known as the O Antiphons. These O Antiphons were seven prayers, a way of praying for the coming of Jesus by focusing on seven different titles given to him by the Old Testament. Praying these prayers has become lost in our tradition as Presbyterians, except for one way. They are the basis for the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. During this Advent and this Christmas season, each Sunday we will be looking at one of these Old Testament titles for Jesus. And together we'll be looking at what it means to pray for him to come. To come again when he returns and to come here and now as he brings the kingdom and establishes his church. And so I invite you to stand for reading of God's word. I'll begin reading in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, and then I will continue reading in John, John chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now the gospel of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The first prayer in the O Antiphons is Come, O Wisdom. You can read this prayer in your bulletin, it's on the inside front cover. It goes like this O Wisdom. Coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other, mightily 
and sweetly ordering all things, come and teach us the way of prudence. We sang these words as we sang a verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a prayer based on the words of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. I want you to look with me at verse 2. As Isaiah describes the coming Messiah, this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Now listen to this. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Of all the ways that Isaiah could have described the coming Messiah, starting with wisdom seems like a strange place to begin. Yet that's exactly where Isaiah starts. He doesn't begin by describing his power or might or strength, but he describes the Messiah's wisdom. And I think this is strange to us because we live in a society that is unacquainted with wisdom. What I mean by that, it's not simply that we lack wisdom, and we do. It's that we don't even know what wisdom is, and we don't know where to find it. And so this morning, as we consider Jesus as the wisdom of God, the question we have to ask is this, what is true wisdom And what does wisdom have to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ? To answer that question, we're going to focus on the Gospel of John, where in his prologue, John tells us that Jesus is the Word, the very wisdom of God that became flesh to give us life. So the first thing I want you to know I want you to know that true wisdom belongs to Jesus, the Son of God. I want you to look with me at John 1, beginning with verse 1. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Gospel of John begins the good news of Jesus with an echo of Genesis, I want you to listen to the similarities. This is Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now listen again to John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, if you've grown up around Christianity, maybe you've heard that before. In the beginning was the Word. But what does that actually mean? What does John mean by the Word? And what does the Word have to do with Jesus? Well, in the original Greek, the the word for the Word is the word logos. And so, in, in other words, you could read the prologue, the very first verse like this, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And this one is important because the word logos is deeply associated with wisdom, both for Gentiles outside of belief in Yahweh and for the Jewish people. In Greek philosophy, the logos was the concept of divine wisdom. It was this 
impersonal idea that there is this thing called wisdom out there that governs all things. And so in Greek philosophy, they called that thing of divine wisdom, the wisdom that rules over everything, they called that the logos. In fact, there are so many parallels here between Greek philosophy and their understanding of the logos and what John is saying that there are some theologians who think that John is simply borrowing from Greek philosophy to describe Jesus. But here's the problem with that. For the Greeks, the logos was impersonal. It was conceptual. It was an idea yet the Logos that John is describing here is deeply personal. In fact, the Logos that John describes is intimately involved in every part of creation. I want you to look with me, John 1, verse 2. Notice what he says, he, he, that is the Logos, he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And Jews who were familiar with their Old Testament would have immediately thought of, not of of Greek philosophy, but they would have thought of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. That not only speaks of wisdom, but personifies it. I want you to listen to Proverbs 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Do you hear it? Proverbs speaks of wisdom in the first person. This is wisdom personified. But it doesn't stop there. Chapter 8 goes on to describe wisdom personified and its role at creation. I want you to listen to Proverbs 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me, that is wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. When he established the heavens, I was there. Now, all of this seems incredibly strange to our modern and Western ears. To think of wisdom in a personified way. To think of wisdom as some idea that was there at creation. To think of wisdom and and to ascribe wisdom to the person of Jesus. What does any of this mean? What you need to understand is that the idea of wisdom had a long tradition for the Jewish people. They pursued wisdom in the same way that they pursued the Lord. If you know the story of King Solomon, you know that he prayed to the Lord and asked for wisdom. 1 Kings 4.29 tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And King Solomon went on to write two of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And yet again, I think what John is describing here in John 1 is different. Because what John is describing with the Logos, the wisdom of God, is not simply wisdom personified. John is describing wisdom as a person. 
And so when John says, in the beginning was the word, what is he saying? John is saying that in the beginning was the logos, the word, the very wisdom of God as a person. The second person of the Trinity. John is telling us that in the beginning there was Jesus who is the wisdom of God. You see, what I think John is trying to do is he's trying to help his audience to understand that the wisdom of God in the person of Jesus transcends any philosophy that man can come up with. But it also fulfills every single promise of the Old Testament. Jesus is the wisdom of God, and this is what we see then throughout the New Testament. It's why when Jesus began to teach, the Gospels tell us that the people were astonished. And in Matthew 13, 54, they asked, where did this man get wisdom? That was their first question. The book of Revelation tells us that when Jesus comes again, when he returns, that all of the living creatures and the angels and the elders will gather around the throne. They'll proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. And the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and listen to this, the wisdom of God. True wisdom is found in Jesus. So what does that mean? What's that actually look like? The second thing I want you to know, I want you to the wisdom of God is the source of life. Look with me, John 1, verse 4. Again, John tells us, in him was life. Who's the him? He's talking about the logos, the, the wisdom of God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. For centuries, philosophers have tried to find wisdom. In fact, the very word philosophy means love of wisdom. It was Aristotle who said, knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom. And then, of course, Socrates said the only true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. The point is, is that for centuries, humanity has tried to find wisdom on their own. And you don't have to be a scholar of philosophy to know this in your own life. When we think of wisdom, we simply think of knowledge. And this side of the Enlightenment when we think of seeking wisdom, we want to know facts. And we assume that if you can know enough and know the right things, that that will get you by in life. But see, the Bible describes wisdom completely different. In the Bible, wisdom is not knowledge for knowledge's sake. In the Bible, wisdom is knowledge that leads to life. It's not just what you know, it's knowing how to apply what you know, how to live it out, 
how what you know now changes every single thing about the way that you live and the choices that you make. J.R. Packer describes wisdom this way in knowing God. He says, in scripture, wisdom is a moral as well as an intellectual quality. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. What's he saying? He's saying wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's knowledge that leads to life and human flourishing and the highest good. This is why the book of Proverbs says that whoever finds wisdom finds life. This is why John in the prologue in John 1 says that in him, the logos, the wisdom of God, there is life, that life is the light of men. And so where do we find the wisdom of God? Before we answer that question, we must first acknowledge that we want nothing to do with it. You see, because we have a problem with God's wisdom. It's not simply that we don't know what it is or where to find it. It's that deep down, we don't even want it because we would rather go our own way. I want you to look with me, John 1, verse 9. John continues to tell us about this logos, the wisdom of God that is our life, that is the light of men. And he says in verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now listen to this, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I don't want you to miss this. All that John has been talking about, the logos, the word, the wisdom of God given to us in the person of Jesus for our life, he came to his own people and his own people rejected him. Why? Because that's what we do. We would rather go our own way, make our own path, rely on our own knowledge than receive the wisdom of God. There's a verse tucked away in the book of Proverbs that has always haunted me. It's Proverbs 14, verse 12. This is what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man that ends in death. Why did his own people reject Jesus? Here's the scary truth, because it seemed right to them. And if we're gonna be honest this morning, this verse should haunt all of us because it's entirely possible to be on a path that seems right but its end is in death, and we have no idea. And living in a cultural Christian context like Dallas, Texas, this is so difficult to discern. Because how easy is it for us to go on a path that seems right, 
and yet is so far away from the true gospel that it leads to death. I grew up as a kid going backpacking with my dad. Those of you who know what backpacking is, you know it's like extreme camping, right? It's, it's camping with everything on your back, and by the third or fourth day, you are as far away from your car as possible. And at that point, if you make a wrong choice and going in a wrong direction, it has huge consequences. And of course, back then, we didn't have GPS or phones or anything like that. All we had was a trail map. And I can remember so many times when we would find ourselves on the wrong path, where we'd look at the map. It seemed like the right path. And we would literally hike for miles only to realize we'd gone in the complete wrong direction. And though it didn't lead to death, it certainly led to being cold and hungry. But this is what it can be like for us as we wander through this life, easily walking around the path and the way that seems right to us, but it only leads to death. This is why the Proverbs also give us this warning that those who hate wisdom love death. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1 that although people knew God, they didn't honor him or give thanks to him, and they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There is a difference between the path and the way of Jesus and the way that leads to death. And we need wisdom to know the difference. Later in the Gospel of John, Thomas comes up to Jesus in John 14 and he asks him about this way. He said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Critics of Christianity hear that last statement, and they think, well, see, this is why Christianity is so dangerous. It's exclusive. Why would Jesus say, no one comes to the Father except through me? But what I want you to know this morning is Jesus is not simply trying to be exclusive He's giving us a promise. He's telling us that in all the different ways, whether it's philosophy or religion, that you might try to get your way to God, the promise of Advent is this, that God has come to us. And he's only asked that we would receive him. But we need wisdom to do that. What does this wisdom look like? I think John tells us in John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We need the wisdom of faith. So the last thing I want you to know, I want you to know that the wisdom of God was given to us in a manger. All of these ways that John has been talking about the logos, the word, the wisdom of God, who was there in the beginning, who through him all things were made, the one who is life and the light of men, this word, this wisdom, this logos, he tells us, John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John tells us that the very wisdom and word of God took on flesh. Wasn't just personalized, it's a person. Jesus, the wisdom of God, became man. And so my question for you this Advent is what do you really believe? It's a question we should ask every Advent. You see, because it's easy to make assumptions about the claims of Christianity. Because the Christmas story has seeped into our cultural knowledge so much so that very few of us stop to really think of what we really believe as Christians and why we believe it. As Christians, we believe that God became man. That the very wisdom of God, John says, the word took on flesh. Do you believe that? It's the doctrine of the incarnation. And it's the very foundation of our faith. Because if there is no incarnation, there can be no gospel. Without Christmas, there is no cross. Because as Jesus wasn't fully man, he could not have died for you and me. And if he was not fully God, he could not have risen again from the dead. And so what do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh? And this morning, if you are outside of Christianity, if you're just on the periphery and curious or you have questions or doubts, I also want to ask you, what do you really believe? Because if you don't believe that Jesus became man and took on flesh, then what is your explanation of the world? You see, because I think there's such thing as nominal atheists too who don't stop long enough to think about the assumptions that you have made about why you exist, what all of this is for. And so if you want to know what wisdom is this morning, John says, look no further than the manger. The very wisdom of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us, not with an army and not with a sword in his fist, but as a baby. And this is the wisdom of God. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 1. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God. This Advent, take the time to truly ask yourself what it is that you believe. Where does your sense of wisdom come from? Does it come from philosophy? And from human invention, does it come 
from parts and pieces of scripture that you don't yet comprehend? Or have you been given the wisdom of faith to believe the foolishness of the manger? That God took on our poverty so that he could take the poverty of our sin to die on the cross and rise again and one day come again to make all things new. Until that day comes, this Advent we pray, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of wisdom given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We now pray that you would give us the wisdom of faith and that you would fix our eyes on the manger and see the glory and wonder of the incarnation. Teach us to pray for your coming. We ask in your name. Amen. Let's